Alrighty, hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast in 2021. Woohoo! Not really. See, all you silly people, pretending that a, a, an arbitrarily drawn point in the Earth's orbit around the sun was going to fix your problems. This year sucks just as much as the last. Deal with it. That particular bit of optimism brought to you by me, your host, Robert Winfrey. Thank you all very much for being here. I do deeply appreciate your support because, well, you don't have to. You choose to. And that helps a lot. Uh, so be sure to interact with the product somehow. Like, comment, subscribe, share, uh, review, if that's an option. I'm happy to take any and all of it. Thank you very much. Uh, on the agenda this evening, uh, I figured I'd go over very briefly some of my year-end awards for 2020. Preview this coming event because the UFC is back after its little bit of a hiatus. And I don't know if this had broken when we recorded last time, but this event is actually going to be on ABC. So the UFC on ABC. Yay. Uh, this. I've seen some people, I think, overreact to this. It's part of the reason that I don't care that much. It starts at like. Nine in the morning, Eastern, I think. Something like that. It's got an early morning start time. Uh, and the UFC's been on broad on you know, broadcast network television before. I don't understand this segment of the fan base, which apparently includes part of the UFC brass, that is, uh, thinks that somehow we're, we're still second-class citizens. Look, combat sports is, and this was said about boxing years ago, it's true of boxing, it's true of MMA. If we're talking about sports, it's kind of the red light district. That's just kind of what it is. But boxing is on mainstream television on occasion. MMA has been before, will be now, will be again. It's not changing anything, guys. I, I, I will never understand this... Uh, I hate making over... I, I hate making too many comparisons between MMA and pro wrestling... But Dana White chasing clout or mainstream recognition, he does it as every bit as badly as Vince McMahon does. Vince McMahon desperately wants to be good at something other than promoting professional wrestling. He's tried everything else under the sun. He just hasn't been able to make it work. Dana isn't good at anything other than fight promotion, which, you know, being... Uh, I can't just say being an amoral kind of scumbag doesn't let you do anything other than promote fights, because that's blatantly untrue. But that seems to be what he's doing, and again, lest I come across as like horribly bitter about Dana White for some unknown reason, he's pretty good at it. And he's been, a, if not the most integral figure, certainly one of them, in steering MMA from the doldrum dark ages of its inception into what it is now, which is a thing, an event that's been on Fox, ESPN, and very shortly, ABC. He deserves mountains of credit for that. But you're still promoting combat sports, and fans, I hate, I, I just gotta get this to everybody, it's never going to be, uh, you know, soccer or football. And I say that in neither the American football sense for everyone here in the United States or soccer slash football for the world. It just isn't. 
The appetite for violence is not in every human being, or it is, but only to varying capacities and under varying circumstances. And even then, it varies wildly in terms of how you want to consume it, or if you want to consume it at all. I mean, this gets brought up on occasion, and I don't want to dovetail too hard here, but violence is not in every human being. Uh, the capacity to react violently to something... It's not in all of us, man. There's a reason some people just get the crap beat out of them. There's a reason some people start kind of getting shoved around or whatnot and they don't do anything. There's... Uh, violence is not easy. Not easy to be on the receiving end of, and... Shockingly, people forget this because everyone likes to think that they... Uh, if push comes to shove, I'm, I'm the tough guy. I'm Rambo. Uh-uh. Most of us aren't. It is not easy to hurt another human being. There might be times when it is. You can I'm sure you, listening, you can think of somebody that, you know what, I would love to punch that person in the face. Sure, you can, I can, we all can. Thinking about it and doing it, not the same thing. Doing it to someone you don't actually have an emotional attachment to one way or the other, very difficult thing. Says a lot about you as a person that you could go into a cage with a stranger and inflict grievous bodily harm on them. People don't like that part about themselves. So they don't like looking at it. And look, it'll be on ABC. I think it'll do good numbers. I'm going to preview that card. I'm looking forward to it. It's a really good card, actually. <laughs> but just, guys, MMA is right now about as respectable, quote-unquote, as it's ever going to get. And just, I, I, the chip on your shoulders, guys, leave it. It's not helping. When everybody and their dog legitimately looked down on MMA and it couldn't get on pay-per-view or whatnot, it served a purpose and it was deserved. We've been on Fox, ESPN, and now ABC. You're not the little guy anymore. Stop it. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Uh... It's eh, it's just unsightly. It's like Dana wearing Rage Against the Machine t-shirts. Buddy, you are the machine against which they are advocating rage. Just throwing it out there. So don't don't be the person who goes, oh, this will open up huge new avenues. It it really won't. MMA is what it is at this point. And thankfully, it's big. Thankfully, hopefully it can get bigger, but it's never going to supplant any of the major sports. Not in any sort of, cons you know, concentrated way. It just doesn't. But it's big. It's stable. The, the interests of the promoter and the fan base are mostly in alignment. That's why we get the fights we all want. Uh, you know, there's still things to iron out. Fighters need more money. But... Uh, MMA is in a very healthy place. For the most part. Uh, all in all, it, you know, the UFC is stable. Uh, the fights are of high quality. I mean, think about, th that's a good enough a dovetail into my year-end summary as anything. So let's, let's talk a little bit about 2020 in kind of an abstract, and then we'll get into some specifics. There was a global pandemic that shut down the majority of the world. Certainly the majority of the world at various times. Here in the United States, depending on where you are and the needs of the individual state, uh, more or less severe for different at different periods of time. 
despite significant international travel restrictions, which hamstrung so much of the UFC's roster, there's there's definite value to having a very international roster, because in no small part because there is no shortage of quality fighters all over the world. But when Brazil got cut off for months, when the UK closed down, or you know, a bunch of other places, it really, really limited the amount of talent that the UFC had at its disposal, and they still managed to find ways to make things work and put on some high-quality violence. I got looking back through my list of stuff for 2020, I, I keep a personal list of nominees for all the bit for the categories I do. I used to have it in a different spot. I lost half of it and lost one of the genuine worst fights of I think 2018. It was 18 or 19, and got a bunch of crap from the commenters, rightly so, because I did not include. What was it? Um, I think it was Lewis. It was a Derek Lewis fight. Uh, yeah, it was Lewis and Ngannou. I just I had it listed as one of the worst fights of the year, but uh, I lost that part of the list because it was stored on a website that... Uh, that's a longer story. Lost it. And tried to reconstruct as much as I could remember for the year-end year list, put it together, and then everyone said, A, how could you possibly put CM Punk versus Mickey Gall as the worst fight of the year? Because it was. And then, well, what about Lewis and Ngannou? And I went, oh, yeah, that fight. So, you... I I took the L, because I forgot it, edited the thing to put it back in, because I knew where it went. But, uh, yeah, so now I keep them all personally. And I going back through it, man, we had some high-quality violence. There were some brutal knockouts. There were some wonderful submissions. There were some frickin' wars from last year. So, MMA's pretty healthy as far as that goes. Um... As far as my awards, uh, I'd encourage you to read it. The whole list is up on in the MMA Zona 411 Mania. But your Ian McCall Memorial Worst Luck of the Year goes to Leon Edwards, who lost out on the biggest fight of his career. He was supposed to... Remember this, like a week before... This was uh, in March. So the, uh, cause the UFC had their Brasilia card headlined by Oliveira and Kevin Lee. Next week was supposed to be Leon Edwards and Tyron Woodley in London. UK shut down... UFC missed five or six events in a row after that, etc., etc. Uh, but that was supposed to be Edwards' big... And he was on... He's still... I mean, he is still... He hasn't lost. He's on like an eight-fight winning streak. Uh, his last three wins are pretty impressive, actually. He's got wins over Cowboy, uh, Gunnar Nelson, and then RDA. Uh, eight fights in a row at welterweight. His, I think one of his only... He's only got, I think, two losses in the UFC... Uh, he had one early to either Ponzinibbio or Luque, and then he lost to Usman. Or he lost to Usman early, and then the other one later. Either way. Uh, one of his only losses in, these, in his entire UFC career is to the current champion. He's on a great run, and beating Woodley would have been a giant boon for him. He would have had, I think, a fairly airtight case to being the next title challenger. Lost that. Got into some promotional acrimony with the UFC over their handling of things and his response to them, but 
such as life, finally uh, gets removed temporarily from the rankings for no reason other than the UFC's desire to try and leverage him into doing what they want. Because the rankings are done by the UFC, basically. I know, I know, independent journalists, BS. They're the UFC's rankings, they're not recognized by anyone other than the UFC. Uh, so, the UFC's rankings, if they want to disqualify anyone for any reason from being on them, they can. They can keep Nate Diaz on them until the heat death of the universe, by which, at which point Nate will still not have fought again, by the way. But Leon Edwards, eh, little over a year, he's out. Uh, anyway, he's agreed to fight Kamzat Shemaev. They put him back on. That fight fell apart after Edwards got COVID in a pretty severe case, apparently. I think it was Brett Okamoto who reported the man lost like 12 pounds. And when you're an athlete, that's a big deal. Heck, I'm not an athlete, and that would be a big deal. Might be if I lost 12 pounds. I'd be right around 205. Last time I weighed myself, I was uh, 218, 219. Yeah, that's, that's still a lot. I mean, for a guy in Edwards who probably walks around... He walks around lighter than I do. He'd walk around around a little over two. If I were 12 pounds lighter, I'd probably be about about Leon Edwards' walk around weight. <laughs> uh, but as the that's a big percentage. So that got rescheduled. Then Kamjot. Uh, it was reported that he had COVID. He denied it. Then it came out. Yeah, still having lung issues because of COVID. So we'll have to postpone that. <laughs> uh, poor Edwards, man. Again, one of the top contenders. Scheduled to fight the former champion. It is not his hometown. He's from Birmingham, not London, but home country, certainly. Would have had an airtight case if he got to nine, in a, I think it would have been nine. If he gets to that by beating Woodley, especially if he does so impressively, he would have been next. He would have had next, no questions asked. But, uh, again, bad luck. And in some cases, that's all it was, was just bad luck. Uh, let's see. Breakout fighter. I actually went Kevin Holland over Kamzat Shemaev. If you have those two reversed, I don't blame anyone. My line of thought, such as it is, Holland not only won five fights in 2020, uh, his last one was a fairly significant knockout win over Jacare in the first round. Uh, before Holland did that to Jacare, I had uh, Kamzat at number one. If you still have Hamzat at number one, the argument being that he came from nothing to debut in the UFC to capture everyone's imagination and now be scheduled against one of the top welterweights in the world, I don't disagree with you, man. Those two, how you parse those two is tough. That's a really tough one. But that's where I went. Uh, let me let's see. Uh, knockout of the year. There was only one choice, man. That's Joaquin Buckley's jump-spinning back kick to the face of Impa Kasanganai. That is still one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. But a lot of, of top-shelf violence this year. Uh, Mohamed Khalidov had a jumping switch kick over Scott Askham the same day, mind you, that uh, Buckley back-kicked Kasanganai. Uh, Benil Daryush had two entries, actually, potentially. He had that big clubbing left against Drakkar Close and the spinning back fist over Scott Holtzman. A uh, lot of high-quality high violence. Uh, got Cody Garbrandt's buzzer-beater punch against uh, Rafael Asensal. Sean O'Malley, uh, when he knocked out Eddie Wineland. There was a lot of good, there was a lot of good knockouts. 
Uh, submission of the year again. I think this. I think this was fairly non-controversial. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov's triangle choke of Justin Gaethje. Uh, rewatching that finish, I knew it was brilliant when I watched it live and in the immediate aftermath. Letting that marinate and then going back and kind of rewatching. That is a thing of beauty. I mean, he takes a leg kick and what twenty some odd seconds later, Gaethje's unconscious. Beautiful, you know, sort of takedown, peek out, go behind, back take, mount, threaten the arm triangle, S mount, threaten the mounted triangle, fake the arm threat as you lean back, triangle, hit the angle, underhook the leg. I just, I mean, that is chef's kiss perfect stuff, man. Uh, To say nothing of the emotional aftermath of that fight, I mean... Fighting is such an odd thing to watch because stuff will get you emotional about it that you didn't think would. Somebody's sometimes it's a story, sometimes it's a the way a fight goes that tugs at your heartstrings. Watching Khabib break down in the middle of the cage after that fight, knowing everything he had gone through. I mean, his father died not too long before that. Uh, he had a broken foot going into this fight, apparently, and I think he... Did he also have the measles or something? I know he had the broken foot issue, but... Uh, I, Javier Mendez, after the fact, came out and said that was, like, the worst camp he's ever been a part of. It was just a mess. And then to do what he did against maybe the most dangerous guy he's fought... Uh, just that, that outpouring of emotion from him after that. And then... Somewhat, uh, again, poetically, the first guy being able to go over and kind of, you know, say anything to him as he's down there on his knees, you know, like sobbing, is the guy he just choked out. Uh, MMA is a weird sport, but that that performance from Khabib is one of those things that uh, I, I think will always pull at people's heartstrings for very, very obvious reasons. Uh, let me think. Um, fighter of the year? Uh, closer than I thought it would be when it was all said and done, but Davis and Figueredo. Uh, four wins, including winning the flyweight title and two title defenses, technically. Uh, other years, he still would have made the top five, but... Oh, man. There's just a couple of caveats here. I mean, the fact that in his first fight, which was supposed to be for the title, he missed weight. Uh, then proceeded to knock Joseph Benavidez completely out. Gets a rematch. Wins the belt clean. He... I'm saying this again. That second fight between him and Joseph Benavidez... I don't think it's the most lopsided fight title fight in UFC history. But it is the most lopsided title fight in history between the two best guys. You know, we can find got you know Anderson Silva just styled on a few people during his title reign. John Jones blew some guys out of the water. Uh, you know, we, I mean, Kane, Kane, JD. No, that was to reclaim it. So this would be defending. Uh, no, I just said title fight. So Kane had some blowouts along the way. I mean, you can find them. 
but you find me two guys that are supposed to be that evenly matched, and you sh that was a brutal one-sided beatdown. He defends the belt, gets a quick first-round submission, completes the fastest turnaround in UFC championship fighting history just 21 days later, fights to a fight-of-the-year candidate against Brandon Moreno, but goes to a draw because of the foul he committed in, I think it was the third round, when he kicked Moreno in the crotch. So, one weight miss and one draw, but still the fighter of the year, I think. Uh... A lot of guys tried their very best to make lemons, uh, to make lemonade out of the lemons that were, that they were dealt in 2020. So, kudos to him for that in that respect. Uh, let me think. Uh, fight of the year. Again, we had some high quality violence. I wound up going with. Uh, I think everyone's fight of the year, Zhang Weili and Joanigan Jacek because, what a war. What a great war that was, man. Uh, my hat is absolutely off to those two ladies. That was brutal. Uh, it was brutal. It was fast-paced. It was interesting. Uh, serious kudos. Uh, again, some of the other shout-outs from last year in terms of high-quality fights. I really liked Gaethje and Tony Ferguson, but it was a little bit too one-way to make the top spot. The aforementioned Figueredo and Brandon Moreno uh, was a was a really great fight. I think that was my that was my second spot. Uh, we had some really great violence last year, so kudos to everyone involved. Again, you can find the full list along with little blurbs about each of the uh, events or people that place on them in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Uh, so, yeah, that leads us into first event of 21, UFC on ABC1. Because the UFC you know, works with ESPN, and the ESPN is owned by Disney, which also owns ABC. But let's jump into this event. We're getting the year started with a bit of a banger here. Your main event. Uh, whew. Calvin Cater and Max Holloway. Wow, that was... Sorry about the potential blank there. That was weird on my recording software. Uh, mea culpa. Anyway, Calvin Cater, Max Holloway. Uh, brilliant fight. I mean, just a great, great fight on paper. You have Cater, who's on a pretty good surge, actually. I mean, his entire UFC record is really good. He's, what, 6-2? and two? Yeah, he stopped Shane Burgos. His only losses are to Hanato Moikano and Zabit Magomed Sharipov. And uh, that Sharipov fight... Or Magomed Sharipov, excuse me, that is his full name. If that had been five rounds, I think he finishes Zabit. He was coming on strong in the third, and Zabit was fading, because Zabit, uh, at the moment, has not demonstrated five-round cardio. He's a monster for about 
two rounds. And beating and surviving that is not easy. But if you do, the, most people beat him in the third. Or he loses the third round. He hasn't lost a fight yet, I don't think. Or not in a long time. What is the beats record? Yeah, 18 and 1. But he's uh, he struggles in the third round. And I know, I know, he, uh, you know, both he submitted Santiago at the end of the fourth, and then Marais, or excuse me, at the end of the second, and then Marais, shame on Marais, in the third. Uh, are we really going to try and pretend that Mike Santiago and Shaman Marais represent the kind of opposition that he faced? I mean, Kyle Botniak took the third round from that guy. You know, Stevens took the third round from him. Uh, Cater took the third round from him. He's got an issue there. But, I mean, Cater last year knocked out Jeremy Stevens with that beautifully timed elbow, uh, beat Dan Ige. Uh, whereas Max, I mean, what do you want to say about Max, man? I've sung the praises of Max Holloway for years on this show. Uh, the man is one of the very best to ever do it. Unfortunately for Holloway, he's in a bit of a slump. He had that really long winning streak. Then he jumped up to lightweight to try his hand at becoming the interim champion against Poirier and lost pretty cleanly. He went back to featherweight, beat Frankie Edgar uh, to defend his belt, then lost. Uh, the first fight with Volkanovski is... N I know people are salty about the second one. Volkanovski won the first one. I, I've never watched that fight and been able to score it for Max. I've never understood that. The second one, he loses a very, very close split decision to Volkanovski. Again, I score that for Volkanovski, but, important but, I don't disagree. If you tell me you scored the first fight between those two for Holloway, I disagree with you, just fundamentally. You tell me you scored the second one, hey, you can make that case all day long and be right. I'm not going to argue with you at all. Uh, unless you really want to, but that was... That was an absurdly close fight. Max sticking around at featherweight's a little bit interesting, but he's going to try. Both of these gentlemen are incredibly talented strikers. They're both very technical. Neither is a fast starter, but Cater takes a little bit longer to get going than Max does. That's a important consideration here. Uh, the other thing, Cater is a very boxing-heavy fighter. He'll throw elbows and he'll throw other stuff in. I don't mean to say that he's completely linear. But I think Holloway's a little bit more diverse in what he can bring. Holloway's also, uh, you know, certainly a great technician in his own right. Uh, a better switch stance fighter than Cater. I don't know if that'll play into anything, but Max can fight from either stance essentially equally effective. Effective in different ways, but to the end goal of being effective from both stances, that man is, in fact, a terror to deal with. Uh... I have a real hard time picking against Max Holloway. Um, and I like Cater, and let me be abundantly clear about this. I will not be shocked if Cater wins. He's a very, very good fighter. And, the, you know, Max has been in the UFC for a long time. He's young, so we don't necessarily think about this. He's only 29. God, he's young. I'm so old. But Max debuted in the UFC in 2012 when he was just 4-0 and and then lost, uh, obviously, in his debut against Dustin Poirier. But he's been in the UFC now for, when was that specifically, February? So his 
nine-year anniversary is coming up in the UFC. And he's had some... Uh, he's had some battles. Look, some of those, he blew the other guy out. Uh, that's certainly true. But his last couple of fights in particular... Uh, both of those Volkanovski fights, they weren't quite the same physically... Uh, they weren't, you know, bludgeonings or anything like that. But it all does add up. And then the Poirier fight... The Poirier fight might be the most damage I've ever seen Max Holloway take in the UFC. Uh, Poirier put it on him. That that matters, man. Uh, I still like Max here. I still favor him to win. If you have to, if I have to pick something, I'm I am picking Max Holloway. But uh, I'm not sleeping on Cater at all. So, main event. You know, the other thing about that uh, is five rounds. I really like Max over five rounds against anybody. I mean, even guys, you know, even the Volkanovski fights, which he lost. Uh, even Poirier. Uh, you know, Max over five rounds is really hard to beat. Uh, he took, I forget which round he took off of Poirier. It was either the third or the fourth. Or uh, he took one cleanly, and then the other one, like the le the closing half of the round, he was doing pretty good. He was starting to cook, you know. Uh, you have a much better chance of beating Max over three rounds than you do over five. I think it's probably easier to take the first and the and the second from him. Not all the time. I mean, Hol you know, Volkanovski dropped the first and the second to him in their second fight unanimously. But over five. To stop that guy from figuring you out and putting damage on you the way that he does. I mean, even again, Poirier beat him, but Poirier took a lot of abuse. Volkanovski beat him twice, but he got Volkanovski got a little bit lit up, especially the first two rounds in their second fight. It's it's not easy to spend that much time in the cage with that man. And figure out a way to win. It is incredibly difficult. Alright. Co-main event. Another high quality instance of violence. Uh, Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown. I'm shocked these two haven't fought before. Have they? I don't think they have. Uh, these are two good old violence boys. <laughs> They're going to get close. They're going to get ugly. They're going to... Let the fists and the feet and the knees and the elbows fly. This is going to be... F this is fun, man. If you are like me and you just... You love some bloodshed, bring this on. Uh, this is going to be great for as long as it lasts. Uh, I don't know... I genuinely don't know who's going to win. I I have a lot of affection for Carlos Condit, but it's pretty clear that everything's adding up on him. Uh, by contrast, we have Brown... Who just re who uh, returned in 2019 from a couple of year hi years hi on hiatus? Uh, lost to Miguel Baeza. That was a bad loss, man. Of course, Baeza's very legitimate. So that'll be a lot of fun. I, I suppose sentimentally, I'm going to pick Condit, but I look forward to the bloodshed. Let's see. Welterweight Santiago Ponzinibbio and Li Jing Liang. Uh, Ponzinibbio finally back in action. He's been out since November of 18 when he beat Neil Magny. 
Uh, good to see him get back because he's one of the better guys at welterweight, but he was supposed to fight somebody else, wasn't he? Hang on, I must... Yeah, he was supposed to fight Muslim Salikov. Oh, that would have been so much fun. Uh, unfortunately, Salikov, health issues related to uh, having COVID at some point. But this is a very, very good replacement. Jing Leong coming off of a loss to Neil Magny. But it won three in a row before that, including significantly upsetting Eliza Zaleski dos Santos. Uh, I like Ponzanibio here, but... Closely contested matchup. Uh, tough for Ponzinibbio after the layoff. Should be a good one. Uh, Joaquin Buckley will fight Alessio De Chirico. Uh, let's see. De Chirico. Three. Eesh. On a three-fight skid. This seems like a... This seems like a gimme for Buckley. Uh, who... Not only had, you know, that big knockout over Impa Kasanganai... He only debuted in the UFC in 2020 because he lost to Holland. He got stopped by Kevin Holland. Then had back-to-back -back knockouts. Uh, he's he's going to take that. That's, that's a very favorable matchup for him. And kicking off the main card, we have Punahele Soriano against Dusko Todorovic. No, sorry, not Todorovic. Not, yeah, sorry. Oh, God, my eyes. Yeah, it is Todorovic. I That R and O. Uh, if I'm just looking at it from a distance, they transpose themselves on occasion. There's too many O's and R's together. Uh, not a bad fight, actually. They've both been in the UFC. I kind of like Todorovic here. Uh, as for the prelims, let's get a quick look down this. Uh, Phil Hawes and, uh, excuse me, Nasruddin, Nasruddin, yeah, there's not an extra eye there. So, going with Nasruddin Imavov. Uh, Phil Hawes had a heck of an impressive debut. I kind of like him. Uh, we have Wu Yanad against Jocelyn Edwards. Eh. Omar Yakmedov and Tom Breeze. Tom Breeze had a... I don't know. Uh, I actually do kind of like Akhmedov there. Breeze, Breeze will probably win, but Akhmedov makes fights ugly, and Breeze is not the best at ugly fighting. Carlos Felipe and Justin Taffa. Ugh, heavyweights. Taffa, but who cares? Nick Lentz against Mike Grundy. It's a uh, Grundy's a replacement, yes? Supposed. I, I feel like hearing that was supposed to be somebody else. Uh, I, I, geez, Edwards is a replacement, too. Sorry, from an earlier fight. Uh, yeah, I can't find this... I can't find the specifics of who's uh, stepping in there, but we'll look at Grundy. One and one in the UFC. Nick Lentz, though. I'll go with Grundy. Sure, why not? Uh, David Zavada against Ramzan Amiv. Excuse me, Ramzan Amiv. That's not bad, actually. That's not a bad fight. I kind of like Amiv. Uh, he's only lost once in the UFC. Uh, that being to Anthony Rocco Martin. Hasn't fought too many other people of note. And Zavada... Up and down. He's 1-2 in, in the UFC. Yeah, I mean... Uh, welterweight... Women's bantamweight, excuse me. Sarah Morris and Vanessa Mello. Eh, probably Mello, but eh. 
And kicking everything off, Jacob Kilburn and Austin Lingo. Uh, sorry. There's a deeply cultural, like, unique-to-my-culture thing about people with the last name of Lingo. And I don't wish to insult this gentleman. So just know that if I, if you hear me happen to chuckle at that, I, it's an LDS thing. That's It's nothing derogatory. It's just a purely cultural... A uh, quasi-amusing thing. It's it's nothing personal to this man, and I assure you it's nothing derogatory. Uh, so just for the heck of it, let's go with Lingo. <laughs> uh, anyway, main card for that event. That is a killer, especially for television. Like, Max Holloway is not only one of the best fighters in the world, the man is also a quintessential television fighter in that he is action. That main card is very, very good. So... Uh, I will have coverage of that Saturday in the MMA Zona 411 Mania. Remember, early start time. They are back in Abu Dhabi. They're not at the Flash Forum anymore. They're at uh, one of the Etihad arenas. But, uh, so that's where we'll be. That is, again, early start time. I wish to confirm the start time in particular. Because I, I know it's going to be early. Uh, do, do, do. The main card, I think, starts at... Yeah, that... Really won my time? I need... Any confirmation. Main card will start at 3 p.m. Eastern, so prelims uh, before that. So what, 11 Eastern-ish? Uh, something like that, yeah. Uh, do do do. I get more conf. Let me see if I can get more confirmation on the prelim start time. Uh, let's see. Don't care about the main event. Uh, prelim starting at noon Eastern. Okay, so ten here. So yeah, early earlier start time, and then the one we'll get to the one on Wednesday next week. We have the double preview, but that Wednesday show that's coming up, uh, uh, that one starts at like 9 a.m. Eastern, I think. So anyway, remember new time, uh, early start time for that event. So please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate everything you guys do to support my work. Uh, all right, let us move on. Uh, jeez, I don't really know where quite to start here with, because, there's been some news, but some of it's either too old and has been resolved or whatnot, uh, so let's start with this. Let's start with UFC 259. This is their event in March, not February, and it has three title fights on it, which always makes me nervous, um... Last couple of times the UFC has had three title fights, they've all gone either late into the fifth or just been decisions. And that is just an extra 90 minutes of broadcast time, give or take. Because the fights themselves are 30 minutes. You factor in walkouts, you factor in the post-fight stuff. Uh, it's, it's just about 45 minutes or so of total run-slash-airtime for a five-round fight. You do that three times, 
And if they all go the distance, that's a lot of time. <laughs> uh, that said, the three fights are great. Uh, you have a women's featherweight fight between Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson. The UFC seems to be banking on a couple of these uh, having finishes. Of course, they did the same last time, and it still bit them in the butt. So you have that. Uh, you have great, great, great bantamweight title fight. Peter Yawn and... Uh, it's Peter. I think it's Piotr. I've got to figure out how that name is pronounced properly, because I don't want to be a goober. Uh, anyway... Bantamweight champion Piotr Jan as defending against top contender Aljamain Sterling. That fight was supposed to happen at the final event of 2020. Uh, Jan had to postpone for, I think he just said family-related issues. Uh, whatever they happen to have been. Uh, great fight. Can't wait for that fight. Uh, and I think what will main event. For the light heavyweight title... Uh, middleweight champion Israel Adesanya moving up to 205, challenging newly crowned champion Jan Blahovich. Uh, Jan one of the better had one of the better 2020s. Uh, he didn't make my. I should have made him an honorable mention. I don't think he was one of the top five fighters of 2020, but he probably should have been. He would have been top 10 easily. So I probably should have found a way to sneak him in there. But uh, that's another really good fight. I like Izzy's chances. Uh, in some cases, uh, there's an argument to be made that this is a fair, that this is a very winnable fight for Adesanya. He is technically the better fighter. Uh, Jan, uh, uh, that said, man, you sleep on Jan Blahovich at your own peril. I did. Uh, shame on me. Jan, I'll do a full preview of that, of course, ahead of the fight, but. Uh, at at the moment, my inclination is Adesanya, but you again, you discount Jan Blahovich at your at personal peril, and Adesanya is not going. Even if Adesanya wins, and even if he wins impressively, uh, he is not. I guarantee you, in his preparation, he's not sleeping on this guy. Whatever he might say publicly, he knows the threats that Jan poses. So two fifty nine. Three title fights. It's nice to have the built-in redundancies, uh, especially as fights fall out. <laughs> you know, I forget the stat, man. Uh, but 2020 saw like twice as many total fights fall out as the previous year. Or it might even have been more than that. It might have even gotten to a factor of three, depending on the specific math. Uh, in the era of pandemic, fights fall out all the time. So having three fights, all of which can legitimately main event a pay-per-view and draw money, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, if they all go off, watch them all go off without a hitch in terms of getting to the cage, but watch all of them go all five rounds and just everyone be dying by the end of the broadcast because please let it end. But you can't fault the UFC for building in redundancies around that. Uh, speaking of built-in redundancies, I've mentioned this before. UFC 257, that will be coming your way, uh, not this coming Saturday, but next Saturday. Headlined by the rematch between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Uh, that's... I've, again, that's not a deep card. If anything happened to that main event, they were going to be in real trouble. Well, we have a new uh, co-main. We actually have a co-main. 
Dan Hooker against Michael Chandler. That's a very, very good fight on its own terms. And if something happens to either of the main event guys, you could slot either Hooker or Chandler in, uh, depending on necessity, uh, without any difficulty. Now, again, if you lose Connor, you're going to take a huge hit commercially. But Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier is a great fight. That would also set that, again, would it do Connor numbers? No. Very little does Connor numbers. But it, it would be a perfectly serviceable main event. So, and if it if everything holds together, it's nice to have value on that card beyond the main event because at the mo because prior to that fight, that was it, man. That was all you had was hey, you're buying Dustin versus Connor too, and don't get me wrong, that's enough to get a lot of people to plunk down the necessary cash, but uh, <laughs> it's not the rest of that card was not great. So adding a little value to that, deeply appreciated, as always. Um, I mean, there's just some loose stuff here. I mean, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't really talk a lot about some of the craziness around UFC fighters, but, you know, the last week or so, Ir, uh, UFC bantamweight, I believe, Erwin Rivera, arrested for attempted murder on both of his sisters. Uh, apparently he stabbed both of them multiple times, but... Both survived, or have as of this recording. Uh, and apparently Rivera's had a lot of mental health issues for a while. And to the best of all the public statements from the family are that they are standing behind him hoping he gets the help he needs. And I can only echo that sentiment. Uh, look, if, he's, if you're just a scumbag who decides to murder your family for profit, I don't have a lot of time or patience for you. But... Uh, the way he's the way it was described, the way, and the uh, some of the reports that came out of it, this is a man in need of uh, psychological help, and I hope he gets it because I hope everyone that needs it gets it. Psychological issues are some of the worst things you can deal with. Uh, so I, I hope he finds, I hope he gets the help he needs, uh, with utter sincerity. Uh, yeah, there's, again, there's a lot of kind of minutia, but, I mean, Charles Oliveira wants a title fight. Uh, Dana White said he was, you know, looking more at Gagey versus Oliveira. I get that Oliveira wants the title shot, probably not going to get it. He's probably going to need one more lightweight. It's just, it's too stacked, and there's too much in flux. Uh, Dana is meeting with still current lightweight champion Khabib Nurmagomedov as, when they're in Abu Dhabi for the next couple of shows. He's going to try and, uh, get Khabib to come back for one more fight. Um, I know the UFC wants to do Conor Khabib too, and I don't blame them. It's their first fight is the most successful financially pay-per-view the UFC has ever produced. So them wanting to run that back only makes all the sense in the world. Conor, uh, Khabib does not seem to want that for any number of reasons. Uh, but I imagine coming out of this meeting with those two, uh, we'll have some clarity about the lightweight title picture one way or the other. So we can look forward to some clarity there. Uh, I think that's everything ahead. Let me refresh Twitter one more time because, well, that's the day and age we live in, isn't it? All right. Nope. Doesn't look like the world has further fallen apart in the MMA sphere, at least. So let's move on to plugs. Um, again, you can find my full year-end awards in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. You can find me Fridays covering WWE SmackDown in the wrestling zone. 
I covered the Impact Wrestling event Genesis on this last Saturday. Uh, because I am happy to fill in on occasion when I can, where I can. And, uh, let me think. You can find, I probably pitched this earlier, but I'm going to remind everyone, uh, the reviews over on Damn You Hollywood. We have reviews for both Pixar's Soul and Wonder Woman 1984, uh, both of which came out on Christmas Day in 2020. So, we had Damn You Hollywood reviews for both of them. You can, I'm, of course, the host of that show. You can find me there. Uh, yeah, that's going to be it for the moment, so hopefully when I get back to you all next week, I will not be in as much physical pain. I have a, I've been having some dental issues, I have a root canal scheduled for, as I record this, tomorrow, so hopefully that fixes it. If not, and you happen to live around me, you might hear about a dentist's office burning down. I, I will not discount that possibility. <laughs> but... Uh, happy to be back here with all of you. Thank you all very much. Next week, review of UFC on ABC1 and a double preview. We will be previewing uh, off the Wednesday card, UFC on ESPN20. Uh, that is headlined by Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny. Solid fight. And, of course, we'll be previewing UFC 257, Poirier versus McGregor 2. Uh... For the life of me, I still do not understand why the UFC puts uh, Jessica I on the same cards as Conor McGregor. <laughs> Nobody cares about Jessica I professionally. Uh, but we'll have a preview for both of those events because they're both coming that week. See you next time. Until then, everybody. Once again, thank you. Uh, <laughs> happy 20, happy uh, 2021. Uh, as usual, the advice stays the same. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>